Today we go to Romans 9. What's that? You're sad. I'm sad. We're going to move on. That was... Today we're going to go to Romans 9, and we are going to get into a section of Scripture which is marvelous, disorienting, and discombobulating. I will tell you this is a true story. There are over a dozen people I counted who have left this church over the past dozen years based off the teaching of Romans 9. I, I hope we don't have the same result. Um, you'll see why as we go through Romans 9 and 10 and 11. These are marvelous foundational doctrines, truths, that are unsettling. And, and, and I want to caution you, be unsettled, but let it draw you to Christ. And the people didn't leave because of Romans 9 in particular. It dealt with a, a more uh, pervasive underlying issue that, that this can expose. But with that being said, we're, we're going to look at in Romans 9, well, we're going to pivot from 1.8 we looked at the order of salvation, how we're saved. And we're going to go to 9 to 11, God's purpose in salvation. And chapter 9 deals with these two marvelous doctrines. Predestination and election. And Dan's going to come up and unpack that for us right now. Predestination and election are, are wonderful facets of the gospel. And we're going to look at this chapter over the coming weeks. And, and, and I, I beg you... Wrestle with this. If you have questions, ask the questions, challenge. But when you understand these doctrines, something marvelous happens. Do you want to know what happens? You see what Paul saw. Look, look, look at this. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is a Christ who is over all and blessed forever. Amen. When I was growing up, I saw a man juggle. And I was floored by his ability to juggle. And I went up and I spoke to him and I said, man, I didn't call him man. I said, how do you juggle? And he showed me how to juggle. And, and he gave me homework. He said, go take a ball and, and throw the ball up and catch it in your other hand and throw it back and catch it in your other hand. Then take two in one hand and throw them up and catch them, keep them going in a cycle. Then put one in each hand and go, and, and before too long, you know what I was able to do? I actually am a really good juggler. And y'all want to see if that's true. It is, but you'll have to wait for another time. I'm preaching. I'm not doing a talent show. But I came to realize juggling has very little eternal value. And in fact, I searched scripture and nowhere in scripture does God say you should go and juggle. But what if you saw someone doing something that God called you to do that you wanted to do? Would you go up to him and said, how do you do that? Paul how do you love the Jews as fervently and passionately as you love the Jews? Paul, how do you love the lost as fervently and passionately as you love the lost? How can you say, I'm speaking the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, and the reason is because the Jews have rejected the gospel. Paul, how'd you do that? 
Does anyone here know a single lost person? Yes. You sure? Yes. Would you bear those same words? I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Would, would you say that I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ so that you might be saved? Is that the passion that drives our evangelism? Say, Pastor, I thought we were talking predestination. Hang in there. Why does Paul have this passion, this, this grievous desire in the most positive sense to see lost people saved, and how do we get it? Do you want to know the, the root of effective and God-honoring evangelism? It's right here. But in order to get into it, check this out. How did the Jews feel about Paul? You ever read the book of Acts? Remember Acts 9, Paul came to saving faith in Christ, amen? Road to Damascus. He went away for several years, discipled by the Lord himself. You read Galatians and Acts chronologically, watch what happens. He comes back to Damascus, 923, preaches the gospel. What do the Jews want to do? They plot to kill him. 1350, Paul's back on the scene. The Jews persecuted Paul. 144, they stone him. 1419, they thought they killed him. 175, they start a riot to try to get him. 20, he's hiding in Corinth from the Jews as they plot to kill him. And he pens the book of Romans. How did Paul not just say, go to hell? They were stoning him and beating him and flogging him and chasing him and causing riots against him and, and pursuing him with all their vim and vigor to kill him. What's wrong with him? Or what's wrong with us? How could Paul love these people so much who were trying to kill him that he would say, if I could be cut off from Christ so that you could be saved, I would do it. What happened? Well, Paul bought an evangelistic program called Invite Them Back to Church. And he was using steps one through three of this evangelistic program trying to win the Jews to Christ. Is that true? Huh? Paul had bought a moon bounce. Where's this evangelistic zeal coming from? Amen. The Holy Spirit. Because Paul understood something. Do you know what Paul understood? Who he was. Evangelism is the sob of God, says John MacArthur. Write that down and remember that. Don't you like that? The sob of God. God calling out. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Why? God calls lost people to himself with emotion and desire and passion because God loves all people. God loves some people uniquely. We'll get to that in the coming weeks. But God loves all people. And his desire is that none should be lost and all should be saved. Is that true? I don't know. Find it in the Bible. It's there. When, when we understand that God sobs through his people, 
and he sobs through his people as we walk with him, we see what happened with Paul. The root of effective evangelism is that Paul knew Christ well. Amen? We just went through Romans 1 through 8, in case you people never learned to count. And when you go back through Romans 1 through 8, and my poor Bible is falling apart, but when you go back through those chapters, you see marvelous doctrine that Paul rested on and in. He was a sinner separated from God, saved by grace through faith, eternally secure, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He recognized who he was, amen? Who Christ is, amen? Road to Damascus. Hey, Jesus, how you doing? What do you mean, how am I doing? I'm going to Damascus. Do you need me for something? Fall off your horse. Is that how that went down? Jesus showed up. Paul fell down. Jesus didn't say, Paul, please choose me. Paul, will you please obey me and worship me? Please, 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 please. He knew. He fell. He rose. God revealed to Paul who he was, who Paul was, and who Paul was in Christ. Do you get grace? Do you understand who you were apart from Christ? Who you are in Christ? And what that means? I mean, pump the brakes. The Jews trying to kill Paul, they were bad folk. But what was Paul doing on the road to Damascus? He was going to kill Christians. No difference. Well, one difference. What was the difference between Paul and Jews? Grace. Evangelism is a sob of God declaring grace to lost people. Do you hear me? We struggle in evangelism because we struggle first and foremost to understand who we were apart from Christ. Who we are in Christ, now watch this one, and how we came to be such. Do you hear me there? You didn't choose Jesus. He chose you before the foundation of the world. If you miss that, grace becomes something less than what it was or what it is. We're going to, we're going to, oh, see, I want to go two sermons in because Verse 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God. God chose Paul. Paul was born anew. Paul grew in grace, and Paul loved people. I love God because God what? If you love God, you will love people. But why do we struggle? Paul's a super Christian, right? I mean, I'm no Paul. Paul's a, he's an apostle. He's a super Christian, amen? What did you just say? Do you know the difference between you and Paul? Nothing. Paul walked with Christ intimately, feasted on his word diligently, gathered with his people faithfully, 
And little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, he grew to become more like Christ. And as he grew, and as he matured, and as he saw Christ more clearly, he began to love people. The root of effective evangelism begins with understanding grace. I say... The root of effective evangelism begins by understanding grace and it grows as we walk in grace. My friends, I would contend that part of the problem we have in the church in the West that makes us different from Paul is we're malnourished. We don't feast on the word. We feast on the fairways and the beaches and the TV and the stuff. We don't walk in fellowship with believers. We walk in fellowship with ourselves. We we, we don't... Paul lived a life that to us would seem appallingly frightening, but should be enviably beautiful. Paul walked intimately with Christ. Amen? Too often when we share the gospel, we think it's a political discussion. School shooting, right? Florida? They should ban guns. No, no, no. They should arm everybody. No, no, no. They should ban guns. Guns are evil. No, no, no. Guns are not evil. Guns are things. This is not evangelism. It's a discussion. We can have real conversations. Evangelism is a spiritual battle where we understand grace and sin and separation and spiritual death. If we miss those things, we miss the beauty of the gospel. So I'm slowing it down this week before I get into the deep doctrine. Do you truly love God? Do you truly love God? your brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, look around, pivot your head. These are people God chose for you to spend eternity with. Do you really love each other? I'm not asking, do you feel fondly about each other? I'm asking, by your actions, do you love one another as Christ loved you? It is the evidence of salvation. Do you have a heart for the lost? Do you know why we don't in large measure? Listen, careful. Because we try to usurp the authority of Christ and mature on our own. Mommy, I can grow up eating Twinkies only. You ever see a kid that ate Twinkies only? God says, eat your veggies. Exercise daily. Listen to this. Exercise daily. Walk with God. (laughs) Get it, church sign? You guys are a rough crowd today. I said, exercise daily, walk with God. Ha ha, they're still not laughing. We're going to move on. As we feast on his word, as we gather with his people, as we live in fellowship with one another, as we walk in obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit, the result is you will become like Christ and you will love God, love one another, and love the lost. But in order to do that, you need to understand the gospel is not, you're, you, you fall short on a technicality, but I'll grade on a curve. 
The gospel is, I was going to use the wrong word, but I mean, you stink. Yeah, let me, let me sum this up. You ever been in a maximum security prison? These guys sit there. I don't belong in here. I'm not a bad person. I made a bad choice, but I'm not a bad person. Dude, you murdered and raped 13 people. I know. It was just a bad choice. Y'all are bad people, okay? You have lived in open rebellion against God. You failed to worship him. You don't glorify him all the time. You, don't, you, don't, you worship idols. You're going to go to hell. Face the wrath of God. But God, while you, were, while you were sleeping around with idols, while you were trying to kill God, while you were still a sinner, Christ did what? He died for you. He chose you. He called you. He forgave you. He washed you. He cleansed you. He made you anew. You are a recipient of grace. Now, as you walk in the common means of grace, you grow in grace. You grow in your love for God, for your brethren, and for the lost. I was just thinking about this, dang, it's early, in light of Sunday school. Because, folks, we are called in large part to proclaim Christ and call lost people to repentance. And the reason we struggle is really quite simple. We don't fully grasp who he is, who we were, and what we are in Christ. Amen? I would like not to be Ashamed of the gospel. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He said, it is what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Greek, the Gentile. I don't want to blow by these first five verses too quickly. Because what we have is this ability to grow, to be like Paul, who was like Christ. I hate churches. I love our church. I hate churches that keep the gospel a secret. They're going to have car drove by. They're going to hell probably. Shh, don't tell them. <laughs> There's another one. Going to hell. Dirty sinners. What's wrong with us? Paul loved the Jews. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He's saying, with Christ as my witness. I'm speaking the truth. I'm not lying. That's a grammatical construct. He's driving home the point. My conscience bears me witness. Can you trust your conscience? You know that little voice that says do or don't? Can you trust your conscience? No. So why would Paul say that? Look what he says next. In the Holy Spirit. Read uh, Romans 7. Read Titus 1. Let me know if you can trust your conscience on your own. But insofar as you're submitted to the will of God, walking in the power of the Spirit, you can trust your conscience. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish for you. 
What's wrong with us? Do, do, you, want, do you want this? Do, do you want to be able to say, when I am weak, then I'm strong? Do you want to be able to say, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need? Do you want to be content in all situations? Do you want to rejoice always? It's what God saved you to. But too often, we're consumed with stuff and not with Christ. Who was Paul? The apostle to who? You guys remember this? Put me in your seats for a minute. Is it like awkward when I ask questions? Because someone's like, if I answer wrong, he's going to so run at me and point. (laughs) Pastor, apostle to the Gentiles. Nice one, John. How'd you know that? I sit under great teaching. Oh. (laughs) He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Do you think Paul wanted to be the apostle to the Gentiles? Who did he want to be the apostle to? Why didn't he do that? Wasn't his choice, was it? God called him. He walked in the will of God. He grew in his love for God. He became more like Christ. And he grew into a man that Paul used mightily. Paul was consumed with Christ. What do you want to be? Think it in your head. What do you want to be? What do you want to do with your life? Ready? Throw it away. What does God want you to be? What does God want you to do? Because as you walk in the will of God, then you see God work mightily through you. Why are we chasing stuff, assuming that stuff is better than Jesus? What if Paul had the largest Jewish church plant in the whole area? And he wrote books. Everyone knew him. What do you think Jesus would say? Nice work, dude. All going to burn. Are you in a position where you understand grace so well that you're willing to say to God, not my will, but yours be done? Do you want to get there? Do you know how to get there? It starts with understanding this thing called G-R-A-C-E, grace. This is building up to election, predestination, justification by faith, the, the choosing of the Jews. But listen, Paul begins with this marvelous evangelistic zeal. He does not say, you ignorant bums, you're going to hell. You had the dang Bible and you didn't read it right. Suckers. He says, you know that's how you evangelize. God created everything. No, he didn't. Idiot. Going to hell. Paul weeps. Paul grieves. Because Paul says, I was once an idiot. Intellectually, you can't come to faith on your own. Do you know how you come to faith? G-R-A-C-E. It means you don't deserve it. God chose you to love you uniquely as his own child. 
And as you walk in his will and feast at his table, you will grow to be like Christ. Every trouble you have in life, listen to this, is a result of not trusting Christ for who he is. Every trouble you have in life is a result of not trusting Christ for who he is. Chew on that. Did Paul have troubles? Was he troubled by his troubles? Listen carefully, he was. He went into hiding in Corinth. He was, God, I can't do this. God had to encourage him. He's no superhuman. He's a dude who grew in grace. And as he grew in grace, so here's, here's what I'm getting at here, folks. We live in a strange time, in a strange place, where how many people had someone share the gospel with them this week? Nobody? Listen to this. One hand kind of moved. If we play the percentages, we got a problem. Why? Because it's not that there aren't believers out there. There might be some. I assume there are a couple, right? But they're not 90% of the, the countries believing in Christ. The problem is the devil has gotten into the church. He's mixed up wheat and tear, and he's throwing a whole bunch of Twinkies on the table. And he said, don't love one another beyond convenience. Flop around every 18 months. It makes it easier. Pastors, don't talk about difficult doctrine like 9 through 11. You might upset somebody. Leave it be. Positive pep talks. Let's just keep it real. No, 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 no. You know, we had a president who was elected on this, this slogan of make America great again. Can I start a slogan? Can we please make Jesus great again? Can we please in the, in the church make Christ great again? Can we trust in him and walk with him and rejoice in him and see what he might do? You see, this doesn't do no good if grace doesn't stand in front of it. We could go out with the most intellectually astute gospel proclamation. And if the Holy Spirit isn't at work in it, it's a waste of time. And it goes from, it's not less than an intellectual proclamation, but if it's anything less than based in love with an understanding of grace, you're working on your own. You say, Pastor, I don't really need the Bible. Mia, why would you say such a horrible thing? Oh. How's that working for us, church in the West? How's biblical illiteracy? Listen, I watched a brother drag his family and fall bad this week from biblical illiteracy. I don't need the church, pastor. Mia, what is wrong with you? God made us to need one another, to bear one another's burdens, to encourage and equip one another. I've walked with some of you for 12 years, amen? amen. Have I ever annoyed you? You can say yes. yes. Renee and I have known each other long enough. I'm sure there were numerous times where she's like, Pastor, if it wasn't for grace, I'd stab you or leave. <laughs> but when we trust God and walk with God and cry out to God to help us to be the people he's called us to, there's a wonderful opportunity not only to grow in Christ, but to live as people growing in Christ before lost people. Amen? 
Church ain't about a group of people you like to hang out with. I hope you like hanging out with one another. I really do. But church is about a family that God has called together. Amen? Amen. And I can remember growing up not getting along with my sister at times, but it's still family. Well, even more so, this is your eternal family. Amen? Amen? We got the living word of God. It's a family of the living God called to walk in fellowship with one another. And if we move any of those things to the side, we start to become malnourished believers. So I saw that man juggling. I can still picture him. He was juggling crazy. And I said, how'd you do that? And he taught me. And I thought I was the coolest thing in like middle school. I could do back juggling. I could juggle all sorts of different objects. I juggled a bowling ball once. Right? I mean, it was a bowling ball and two baseballs. And I was like, vroom. It was, I mean, I'm pretty special. That's what people tell me. And I was so proud of myself. Well, well, here's what I see in this text. There's a man who is traveling all over God's green earth, proclaiming Christ crucified and risen. There's a man who people are chasing down and trying to kill, who loves those people who are trying to kill him so much that he says, listen, if you could just kill me and separate me from Christ... I'm good with it if you could come to faith through it. Why would he say such a crazy thing? That makes absolutely no sense. We just saw eternal security. Well, he knows he can't be separated from Christ, amen? But I could wish that I myself were accursed. No, this couldn't be true. Was Jesus accursed? He who knew no sin became sin? For what purpose? That we might become the righteousness of God? Well, time out. I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off. Jesus was accursed. Jesus was cut off from fellowship with the Father. Get out of here. It's almost like Paul had a supernatural love for people which developed over, this is not road to Damascus. You take a guess here. Road to Damascus to Romans 9, when Paul wrote this. How, many, how long do you think that took? Three weeks, six weeks? What do you think? Six months? You're pretty darn close. Think about that. Paul was walking with Christ for decades. Okay? It, it, probably about a, a year and a half, two years short of 20 years. He's walking with Christ. Now, in fairness... Paul was discipled by Christ face-to-face for three years, okay? He had a little better start than y'all got in the process, y'all, yeah? But Paul was not instantaneously super-sanctified. Paul began to trust Christ. Paul began to walk with Christ. Paul stored up God's word in his heart. Paul did the hard work of loving people. Did Paul ever have conflict Remember John Mark? You guys know that story, Paul and Barnabas? His cat, John Mark, he took off, left him on the missions trip. Next time out, he wanted to go with him. Barnabas says, bring him. Paul says, we ain't bringing him. Can't trust that guy. They got into a little bit of an argument. So Paul's arguing with Barnabas. What the heck's wrong with Paul? I thought he was superhuman. 
He says, I'm not taking him. He said, you go that way, I'll go this way, Barnabas, but I ain't taking that sucker. So they separated. And keep reading in Scripture, and you see a reconciliation. How wonderful. You see Paul ask for Mark. Paul, don't, don't misunderstand. When you read Romans, Paul is not the central figure of Romans. Paul is a vessel that God used in a process because Paul was available, prepared, and called. I'm so glad Paul didn't say, Lord, I have chosen to be the apostle to the Jews. Look at my resume. This is what I'm made for. This is what I like. Those are the people I love the most. I'm going there. I'm so glad that Paul was submitted to the will of God. You should be more glad than me. I'm a Jew. But notice the impact Paul had on the Jews. Do you see how beautiful that is? Trust in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, the desires that are from God. So here's all I'm going with today. There's a difference between me and Paul. I don't know about you. Maybe you're further along than me. But I'm looking to close the gap. I'm looking to truly be able to say, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. Listen to me. When I came to faith in Christ, I had a fervor and a passion to share the gospel with people because I understood who I was apart from Christ. I understood who I was in Christ, and I understood how that happened. But as I have grown in Christ and walked with Christ, that that passion hasn't gone away. The, The passion has increased. Too often, you'll meet believers. You ever meet these folks? They come to faith for like a year. They are on fire for Jesus. They're, they're reading this Bible constantly. They're showing up at every church function and event. I mean, they're the people that get here early in the day, and they're like knocking on the door, 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Can I come in? I'm looking out the window. There's a guy standing there. Just go share the gospel with him. There, there's this burn-off point that happens. You got about a year of run, and then you fall apart. You ever meet these people? They love Jesus like crazy, and then they kind of fall into the lukewarm. They're really safe people that do this. Listen to me, my friends. The difference, the, the devil is alive and active. He has given us all sorts of things other than Jesus to chase after and cheap substitutes to try to fill the void. We, we got these things, right? You could listen to podcasts of preachers all over the world, YouTube videos galore of anybody you want to watch, and, and you can get your church done online. No, 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 you can't. You, you may get better teaching, okay? You, you may get not, but how do you know? Because we're conditioned now to go for what we want as opposed to what God calls us to. It's not, if you ever pick a church based off the, the pastor, there's a little bit of a problem. Listen, I hope you like me. I, I, I hope you find that God has called me and gifted me and equipped me to teach the word and preach scripture, but I sure as heck hope that, that you don't believe everything I say is true. I hope that you test everything I say is true by looking at Scripture. Now, I hope that what I say is true, but don't just take it because I said it. Take it because God said it and I spoke through his word. Amen? I hope you don't pick a church because you, you, you like everybody there and everybody looks like you. One of the saddest witnesses of the church in our cultural context is the homogeneous structure of the church. 
It's called a country club. When everyone looks like you, thinks like you, acts like you, and talks like you, it doesn't require a supernatural work of God to draw that together, does it? And, and I don't know if I read scripture right, but I do believe Jesus is calling a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Amen? And that requires dying to self to walk in what Christ calls us to. So, so here's where we land the ship. Evangelistic zeal is lacking in the church in the West because of faithlessness in walking with Christ day by day. If we want to have the joy God intends for us, if we want to glorify God as he has called us to, if we want to be used by God to bring lost people to saving faith, the solution is not found in a program, in a particular preaching style, in anything other than joyful, daily, dying to self and walking with Christ. There's no seven-minute abs in the kingdom of God. The Bible doesn't come. Rosetta Stone, you can learn a language in six months. You can't learn the Bible in six million years. The goal isn't to master Scripture. It's to be mastered by Scripture. Now, I wanted to, to harp on this a little bit today because, church, we're in a unique position right now. And, and I don't know why, but, but I know what God's doing in part. And I've been around a lot of churches. I, I interact recently with a, a guy who's the uh, pastor of evangelism and discipleship at a, a big church out west. Um, and if I shared the name of the church with you, you'd be like, I, I know that church. It's a good church. Very good church. The senior pastor there is phenomenal. He's a, a man I, I think highly of. But I asked this guy, Pastor uh, Mike. I said, Mike, tell me, What's the, what's the evangelistic temperature in the church like out there? He says, it's pretty bad. I said, what do you mean? He says, it's, it's pretty bad. I said, tell me how, we got, how you got there. He says, you know, we, we've had meetings about this, and we're trying to figure out what's going on, because they have a pastor who I guarantee you know his name. And he is a phenomenal expositor of Scripture. And what's happened is, little by little, this danger crept in that people came just to hear this phenomenal biblical expositor. And they figured, oh, he's a better evangelist than me. He, he presents the gospel more clearly than me, so, so I'll just let him do it. And evangelism then became inviting people to church. Now listen, you can invite people to church. I encourage you to invite people to church. But I'm going to encourage you to do something else if you invite them to church. I'm going to encourage you to love them. So Pastor Mike and I are talking to him, and he says, yeah, we, we, we did a survey, and we're at a point where we realized Somewhere around 1% of the people who are part of our church family have shared the gospel one time in the last 12 months. So, I mean, think about that for a minute. We are called by God to go into a lost world loving people, loving them enough to let them know that God so loved them that he gave his only son that whoever believes in them would not perish but have eternal life. And we also need to share this awkward tension that John 3, 17 and 18 have, that apart from trusting in Christ, you're condemned already. And the devil works mightily to shut us down. I, I saw a commercial on TV yesterday for Rice Krispies and Easter. Did you know that? Easter's all about Rice Krispie Easter bunnies. 
It's fine to eat your Rice Krispie Easter Bunny, but guys, why aren't we proclaiming the living bread of Christ as fervently and actively and joyfully as Rice Krispies is throwing out the bunnies with the marshmallows? The answer really boils down to this. We're not walking as Christ has called us to day by day. There's no guilt trip here. Listen, there, there, there's no manipulation or guilt. This is an invitation. There, there's a, a poster if you're coming through the office. It's going to come down. You know, you know Revelations? Reve- I, did, I just did it. Wow. Revelation 3. You know this verse? Behold, I stand at the door and... If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and feast with him and he with me. You guys heard that verse before, right? Mm-hmm. You, want, you want to know a little secret? Don't go sharing that with a lost person. You say, why not? Why not? It's not an evangelistic verse to the lost. You didn't know this, did you? It's an invitation to the saved. Right. Put it in context. This, this, is, this is the Lord speaking to his churches. He's speaking to churches who have fallen away to a degree, who are walking in faithlessness, and the Lord comes to his church, and he says, to his church, to his people, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and listens to me, I will come in and feast with him. Guys, we are at this marvelous place in time where Jesus is at the door knocking. The question is not a matter of salvation for us who are saved. It's a matter of joy and sanctification and glorification of God. Do we want to be used by God for his glory? Or do we want to be an apostle to the Jews? You see what I'm saying with that line there? A marvelous, marvelous invitation. And as a church, I see the knob has turned and the door starting to crack open. And I've seen the devil... Even this very week, try to kick that sucker closed. And if you think I'm kidding, I can share a story with you, which I would not do in this setting, which is sad and grievous and 100% the work of the devil. He would love to trip you up, mess you up, and entice you with Twinkies. But I don't know about you, but I want to trust in Christ. Amen? He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. I have been entrusted with this good news of great joy. I have Romans 1 through 8 as promises before me, and I desire to walk in those promises. Lord Jesus, help me. Anybody want to walk that trail with me? Let's pray. Father, please help us. Holy Spirit, we cry out to you. Lord, we can fall into all sorts of traps of manipulation, legalism, guilt, coercion. Lord, let us never be a church that uses those tools. Let us be a church where you work mightily. Father, anything that I have shared today that would not be from you, I pray would be quickly forgotten and erased from our minds. But Lord, anything that is from you, I pray that you would plant deeply in our hearts. Lord, make us like Paul insofar as he was like Christ. Lord, give us a passionate, joyful desire 
to truly love, to love you, to love the brethren, and to love the lost. Lord Jesus, we see love manifest in you. And that love ultimately showed itself as you hung upon that cross. Not for cute and cuddly people that you just wanted to snuggle up with, but for sin-infected and infested folks who wanted you dead. Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friend. Lord, as Paul expresses in Christ his willingness to lay down his life for his friends if he could, please, Lord, work in our lives so we might be willing to do the same. We praise you that we live in a culture where the reality is we're probably never going to be killed for our faith. But Lord, you do call us to daily die to self. And the devil daily invites us to something else. Holy Spirit, protect this local body of yours for your glory. Remind us of this incredible good news of great joy that the God who is, the God who created, the God who owns, the God before whom we were all separated because we were not perfect, punched a giant hole into creation and dwelt among us to reconcile us to himself to cause us to be eternally secure by grace through faith so we could truly fear not knowing that God is for us and we will dwell with you forever. God, remind us of this afresh and anew and then send us out to proclaim it amongst our friends and relatives and associates and neighbors. So Lord, in the coming weeks as we delve into these deep and wonderful doctrines, Please allow us to be reminded that this is not an intellectual exercise. Romans 9 is about the glory of God. Every word of Scripture is about the glory of God. And we pray, Lord, that our lives might be about the glory of God. Lord, forgive us for all those times we've tried to keep you on the margins. Forgive us for for all those times we've done something far different than love people. And Lord, remind us and empower us and guide us in the way we should go for your name's sake, rejoicing in the fact that you came to give life and give it abundantly. Help us to live abundant lives for your name's sake, in your power. Amen.